warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here with me, my friend, my co-host. It's Stephen. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm, I'm a wee bit excited about this. It's taken over a year to get to this point, the, the build-up to the first of what they, they refer to as the official kitchen sink dramas. Has it been that long? The first, you know, this angry young man has been waiting in the wings for, for quite some time. Absolutely, probably getting angrier and angrier. <laughs> it, it was. A, there's a reason behind it. You know, we wanted to show the precursors, the influences leading up to. They say there's about ten official. Yes, uh, we're going to go with that. But also, we we've slotted a few in there. So when we go through, through the next 10 or so movies in the British New Wave movement, there'll be a couple that we've put in there that we think should be part of it. I think Alfie's we've included in there um, amongst all of it. Yeah, because we know better. I think so. I think so. <laughs> Certainly the amount of research and, and sort of talking about it we've done. Yeah. We'll, we'll be experts by the end of this, mate. We'll have the de- definitive, like, you know, the definitive documentary on the British New Wave movement. People will turn towards in future to, to you know, to get their information on this and to make sure that they're, they're not spouting any rubbish. They'll want to make sure that they, they do have the complete definitive line. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, at the end of the previous episode, I think we said we were going to do Room at the Top but then talking to you after we switched the microphones off, I realised that, no, no, we've got to do Look Back in Anger first because of, chronologically, it was the first one on stage. It's the first one that references Angry Young Man, even though I believe the two cinema versions of one of Room at the Top and Look Back in Anger came out in the same year, didn't they? So, One January, one July, I believe it was. Something but, um, like that, yeah. The, it's, it's, you know, it's certainly... Um, one existed um, in, in a different form as a stage play um, before the other one did. So um, that's why we're doing it in this order, contrary to what we previously said. Yeah, um, and that was just a mistake on my behalf, which you can put down to whatever you like, but I'm sure you're going to put it down to me age. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to do, <laughs> <laughs> do our usual. Just take the words right on my mouth, thank you. I've learned to get in there first, mate. <laughs> uh, what we're going to do is do our usual. I've put together one of those little mini documentaries. There's no other reference in this documentary to any other of the movies because we're doing this as a, as a standalone type thing. It's it's the yeah. first, it's the big one. Um, 
not necessarily the best, I think we may find as well mm. as we go on. There's there's a few things in this that we need to talk about. Tell you what we'll do. We'll play the documentary. Hopefully there's a decent trailer out there that will follow it. And we'll be straight back after this. <laughs> And now, at last we come to the first of the British New Wave movies. The first Angry Young Man film. As we have discovered, the origins of the British New Wave cinema movement were evident even up to 30 years previously with the advent of the new style of documentary production. But it's undoubtedly within the theatrical world that the true birth of the Angry Young Man occurred. The most notable characteristic of the kitchen sink drama was the method used to advance a particular ideology or a social message. If you look back at, say, the traditional Victorian theatre, the trend here was to feature the lives of the wealthy members of the ruling classes. Where these people were generally conservative in their system of social beliefs and their politics, the kitchen sink dramas often presented a cast whose ideology was most often leftist. The characters would be caught between the struggles of politics, industry and power, and usually expressed a dissatisfaction with the current situation as overseen by the ruling class. It is now generally agreed that the first kitchen sink drama was John Osborne's look back in anger, creating a style that explored the drama and the emotion beneath the surface of ordinary domestic life. The play's main character, Jimmy Porter, became the model for the angry young man, a term soon adopted by and attributed to a new generation of working-class men and artists post-Second World War in British society. The phrase kitchen sink can be attributed to preeminent post-war art critic David Sylvester. In 1954, he wrote an article for Encounter about English trends with particular reference to an expressionist painting by John Bratby. Sylvester wrote, Bratby takes us back from the studio to the kitchen, depicting in his work an inventory which includes every kind of food and drink, every utensil and implement, the usual plain furniture and even the baby's nappies on the line. Everything but the kitchen sink? The kitchen sink too. Look Back in Anger was written in just 17 days in May 1955. The author John Osborne created a largely autobiographical piece based on his unhappy marriage to actress Pamela Lane. Originally rejected by numerous agents and theatre companies, the play was eventually given a shot by George Devine, who at the time was creative producer at the struggling Royal Court Theatre. It opened on May the 26th, 1956, and despite mixed reviews from many of the theatre critics, it won a rave review from the Times. This in turn established the play's notoriety and helped it eventually build the audience that Osborne desired. With the advent of this new style of theatre, instead of action focusing on, say for example, the public space of people's lives, it now made the kitchen the centre of familial and social life. Stuffy Victorian-era plays could sometimes feature kitchen scenes, but this was the domain of the servant or the domestic, the female. We've looked back in anger, a play basically really only set in the attic apartment of the main character, Jimmy Porter. The kitchen and the living space are all laid bare on the stage. It created a realism not seen before in British theatre. And it wasn't just John Osborne writing in this new and daring style. There was Arnold Wesker, 
John Arden and Sheila Delaney, although none of them actually claimed the title of kitchen sink dramatist. At last, British theatre was being flung from the traditional and familiar Victorian age right into the 20th century. And in Jimmy Porter, Osborne created a character that not only idolised the worthy causes of the past, but at the same time he mocked those who couldn't understand why the times had changed as much as they did. For the play's premiere, a production by the English stage company under the direction of Tony Richardson, the press release itself described Osborne as an angry young man, a phrase that soon represented this entirely new movement in British theatre. The cast for this inaugural production was Kenneth Hager's Jimmy, Alan Bates as Cliff, Mary Ewer as Alison and Helena Hughes as Helena Charles, as well as John Welsh as Colonel Redfern. Eventually, Vivian Drummond would take on the role of Helena, and it was then that the production received three Tony Award nominations, including Best Play and Best Dramatic Actress for Mary Ewer. It was reported that during the first run of performances, audiences gasped at the sight of an ironing board on a London stage. The press, generally quite negative, but amongst its supporters were no less than Kenneth Tynan and Harold Hobson, two of the most famous and influential critics of the time. In fact, Tynan even went on so far as to say, I doubt if I could love anyone who didn't wish to see Look Back in Anger. It is the best young play of its decade. Amongst the negative reviews was one from Ivor Brown. On BBC Radio's The Critics, he began his review by describing the play's setting, a one-room flat in the Midlands, as unspeakably dirty and squalid such that it was difficult for him to believe that a colonel's daughter brought up with some standards, as he put it, would have lived in it. He expressed anger at having watched something that wasted his time. But despite the negative feedback, there was a lot of admiration for this bold move in British theatre. Alan Silito, later to find fame as an angry young man himself after writing Saturday Night and Sunday Morning and The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, wrote that Osborne didn't contribute to British theatre he set off a landmine and blew most of it up. As the pace of the British New Wave movement gathered speed over the next three years, not only on stage but with literature as well, it became inevitable that a movie version would have to be created. And who better to helm the movie than Tony Richardson, the director of the original stage production? A brand new production company was set up with Look Back in Anger being its first movie. The company was called Woodfall and was created not only by Richardson and Osborne, but none other than Harry Saltzman, soon to find international fame as the producer of the James Bond movies. Saltzman was a massive fan of the play and was key in getting the whole thing off the ground, encouraging Osborne and Richardson to be part of this daring new adventure. Initially, Saltzman was wary of Tony Richardson's directing. After all, he had no track record in movie direction. Saltzman wasn't the only one with reservations. The movie's original backers, J. Arthur Rank, pulled out once Richardson was announced as director. But in a move almost certain to guarantee the film's success, Richard Burton was persuaded by Saltzman and Richardson to take on the lead role, albeit at a much lower fee than he was receiving for his Hollywood pictures. The play's biggest champion, the critic Kenneth Tynan, suggested that the TV playwright Nigel Neal, the creator of the Quatermass series, extend the play into a credible screenplay, and John Osborne, relieved that he didn't have to take on this task himself, handed over the story rights for a mere £2,000. 
Along with Burton, there was Claire Bloom and Mary Ewer, and an appearance by Edith Evans. Here, she plays the role of Martana, a character only ever referred to in the original stage version. The part of the Doctor was specially created for George Devine, the artistic creator of the English stage company who took the original gamble in putting on the stage play. Colonel Redfern was played by Glenn Byam Shaw, a long-time collaborator of Devine's. They created the Young Vic Company together, and there was also roles for two other members of English Stage Company, Alfred Lynch and Nigel Davenport, appearing briefly as barflies who try to pick up Helena and Allison at the railway station. There's also an appearance of the Chris Barber Jazz Band in the opening scenes. The original play, it coined the expression The Angry Young Man and the kitchen sink drama. It showed us the life of Jimmy Porter and his wife Allison. Porter rages against the class system and the unfairness of life and then turns viciously on her, using her as a verbal punching bag. But it barely dents her calm facade and that's what makes Jimmy even more dangerous. But Richard Burton could be venomous like no other actor with that wonderful voice inflicting such damage. But it wouldn't work here without Mary Ewer. Her hopelessness and her inner strength are all on show. She can withstand his attempts to destroy her, but she can't live without him. It's the delicate balance that makes them the most intriguing of unhappy couples. What about Mummy? How does Mummy spend her day of rest? We usually go to Thank church. Thank you, dear Vicar, for the nice, cosy sermon. And then she tramples off over better men's graves, home to an orgy of curry. Mummy and Daddy and Brother Nigel if he's up from town. You know a Brother Nigel? No, I don't. Well, you never heard so many well-bred commonplaces come from beneath the same bowler hat. The platitude from outer space. That's Brother Nigel. Why don't you dry up, boyo? Wouldn't you say that was our private property? I'd like to know when I'm being betrayed. Letters from my mother. Letters in which I'm not mentioned because my name is just a dirty word. And what does she do? She writes long letters back to Mummy and doesn't mention me at all because my name is just a dirty word to her too. Sycophantic, phlegmatic, and pusillanimous. Big words. Shall I tell you what they mean? No, 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 not interested. Soapy, stodgy, and dim. Sounds like a musical act. Ladies and gentlemen, those old favorites, your friends and mine, soapy, stodgy, and dim. Bringing quips and strips for you. For we, we may be guilty, guilty darling, but, but we, we both insane as well. well. 
Ladies and gentlemen, as I was coming to the theatre tonight, I was passing the stage door, and a man comes up to me yeah. and he says, Have you seen nobody? Have I seen who? Have you seen nobody? Of course I haven't seen nobody. Kindly don't waste my time. Ladies and gentlemen, a little recitation entitled, She was only a gravedigger's daughter, but she loved lying under the sod. Are you Thank quite sure you haven't seen nobody? Of course I haven't seen nobody. Will you kindly go away? Can't you see I'm trying to entertain this lady here? The lady pusillanimous. I can't find nobody anywhere, oh, see chuck it? it, chuck it. Well, then, shall we dance? Oh. Come here often, do you? <laughs> Only in the mating season. All right, very funny, very funny. Now, let me go! But then, Jill, you apologize for being nasty to everyone. Do you think bosoms will be in or out this year, my dear? Your teeth will be out in a minute. Oh, come here, put your head up. Look out, look out, look out. Look out, look out, look out. Look out, look out, does it look like it? She's burned her arm. I'm sorry. Get out. You think I did it on purpose? Clear out of my sight! The film was nominated in four categories at the 1959 BAFTAs. Best Actor, Richard Burton. Best British Screenplay, Nigel Neal. Best British Film and Best Film from Any Source. Unfortunately, it walked away empty-handed. Burton would also be nominated as Best Motion Picture Actor in that year's Golden Globes, again unsuccessfully. The movie opened on the 29th of May 1959 during one of London's rare heat waves and was given an X certificate by Westminster Council. Critical reaction was mixed. Variety magazine wrote, Tony Richardson, who staged the play Look Back in Anger, which helped to hoist John Osborne into the big time, tackles the same subject as his first directorial chore. Richardson's is a technical triumph, but somewhere along the line he has lost the heart and the throb that made the play an adventure. The film simultaneously impresses and depresses. In the play, Jimmy Porter is a rebel, but a mixed-up weakling of a rebel. In the film, as played by Richard Burton, he is an arrogant young man who thinks the world owes him something, but cannot make up his mind what it is, and certainly doesn't deserve the handout. Burton glowers sullenly, violently and well as Porter, and it's not his fault that the role gives him little opportunity for variety. Mary Ewer repeating her London and Broadway stage role as the downtrodden, degraded young wife is first class. Claire Bloom plays the other woman, with a neat variation of bite and come-hitherness. Gary Raymond makes an instant impact as the cosy, kindly friend of the unhappy couple. Nevertheless, Look Back in Anger established the kitchen sink genre in British cinema, and Woodfall Productions would continue to produce further entries in the series that would grab the imagination of the public much more successfully. This is Jimmy Porter, who learned at an early age what it was like to be angry. Angry and helpless. Get out of my sight! If only something, something would happen to waken you from your beauty sleep. If you could have a child, and it would die. Let it grow. Let a recognizable human face emerge from this, this little mass of India rubber and wrinkles. If only I could see you face that. Jimmy Porter who lives and loves with an intensity altogether frightening. It's hardly a moment when I'm not watching and wanting you. 
Nearly two years of being in the same room with you and I still can't stop my sweat breaking out and I see you doing something as ordinary as leaning over an ironing board. Wherever John Osborne's play has been seen, audience reaction has been swift and startling. So much to shock people. The black hatred, the hurt, and the anger. For your own sake, don't ever do that again. I have no public school scruples about hitting girls. If you slap my face, by God, I lay you out. Come out of it quick, eh? Now the play has been filmed and emerges as an exciting and challenging motion picture. The biting shock of the dialogue. Rev it up, will you? Stop ringing those bells! The virile, natural humor. Reveal Jimmy Porter as an arresting and provocative person. You'll want a shield from his anger, Allison, the girl he never forgives for being born into a society beyond his reach. You'll want to tear apart Helena, the friend who is a Jezebel. You'll understand Jimmy's love for poor old Ma Tanner. And you'll know why Cliff, who lives with the Porters, is powerless to leave them. I don't think I want anything more to do with love. Not anymore. I can't take it on. Yeah. You're too young to start giving up. Too young and too lovely. Huh. It's no good fooling about with love, you know. If you can't bear the thought of messing up your nice, tidy soul, you'd better give up the whole idea of life and become a saint. Because you'll never make it as a human being. <laughs> Look Back in Anger, released in the UK 1959, directed by Tony Richardson, written by John Osborne based on his play. There's input on the screenplay from Mr Nigel Neal, who we're bound to talk about at some point, starring Richard Burton, Claire Bloom, Mary Ewer, Edith Evans, Gary Raymond. The plot, I've lifted this from Rotten Tomatoes, I'm going to try not to give too much away, but I'm sure most people do know the plot of this, because it's it's quite a, well, it's a very famous film. Archetypal British angry young man, Jimmy Porter, played by Richard Burton, is a college-educated bloke who can't seem to get any better job than working in a candy store. Obviously written by an American, this review, here we go. Jimmy's relationship with his wife, Alison, played by Mary Ewer, alternates between hugs and kisses when he's feeling good, and verbal abuse when he's down on himself, which is quite often. Alison's best friend, Helena Charles, played by, Claire Blo- played by Claire Bloom, advises Alison to escape her injurious marriage. Left with no one for a punching bag, Jimmy romances Helena. This is going to go right into the whole of the plot. I'm going to stop it there, right, because it's going to give away everything. I've only seen this, I think, three times. The first time I saw it, I loved it. It overwhelmed me with its, its power and the language used and just John Osborne's writing it was just wow this is this is a great piece of cinema that impact lessened slightly on my second viewing and i found 
certain aspects of this movie a little bit annoying and a little bit unbelievable. But having watched it this week, I've found a sort of a middle ground with it. Where are you with this movie, mate? How, how familiar are you with it? Uh, the, the similarities there that um, when I, when I first watched it, uh, I was um, a lot younger mm. and I kind of was more taken by it because it was the the shock value and just sort of, mm. and I think maybe myself as well was a bit more uh, pretentiously um, liking oh, it as well. That happens. Um, <laughs> that wasn't just last year, thankfully. I, I've long been out of that stage in my life. It was a while before I watched it again. Mm. And when I did watch it again, I was most, most critical of it. I really couldn't. Mm. I, I decided that, I, you know, this angry young man, I didn't really decipher what really why he was angry and and as such and uh, yep. um and, and picked a few more holes of it and now I've, I've again like yourself i've come to a bit more of a middling uh, perspective on it where there's flaws in it but there's also some some uh, you know amazing parts to it innovations and um stylistic quality um to it that you know the influence it's hard as well being able to recognize that from being more versed in in cinema now than I was with either of the two previous viewings. So, yep. like yourself, I'm in that middle middle ground now where I think I've settled what my actual final view is on this um, film as opposed to earlier when I was at, at two different poles. Yeah, it's, it's strange because we haven't discussed this film at all prior to today. No. And we've both come to the same sort of conclusion. I bet in the conversation that follows we're going to come up with the same theories and and thoughts on this i mean for me personally the big bugbear i have with this and it's it's nothing major but i don't think and and as fine as he is in this that richard burton was the right person to play that role i agree right okay the reason i think is a he's probably a little too old yeah and b for something that's supposed to be the birth of this major realism movement in the UK, there's a slight unrealistic element to it in the fact that Richard Burton, fine actor though he is, is too theatrical. He's too Shakespearean for this. Those rich Richard Burton tones that we're used to in sort of historical productions jar a little bit. You know, it should be something that was possibly better as a vehicle for someone, say, like... Albert Finney would probably yeah. have been better for are you going to agree with me on that mate because that I, is I would, the main absolutely thing absolutely would yeah because the age thing you know definitely I think he was a bit too old but I think the what he was bringing to it um, just by massive respect for him as an actor mm. um, the he's you know, got massive talent oh it's a powerhouse but, performance but, from him but, but, I'm not but, saying but, yeah, yeah I've, I think you know to some extent I, it was it was believability, mm. and and although he is you know it, he's just, you know it's in a lot of ways a central character to this entire thing, it maybe should have been more balanced um, as a, a a story between the characters, and he dominates a little bit too much with the the power of his performances, and it, that might you know partially been down to direction as well with them getting him on board yeah. and therefore wanting to make the most of him. And uh, there's you know different versions I've heard around as, as far as 
him actually asking to be in it and 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 the other side where they asked him to to be in it but to take a pay cut and so you know which side of that was 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 true mm. but ultimately yeah I, I, the age thing and it, it just does seem seems a bit too too mature as well in not just in in looking age but there's just more about the way that he he, he is carrying himself that isn't this young man who's who's either unsure of himself or or just lashing out at the world is somebody who's who's more settled into being against the world yeah um, i think cliff is is more suited the actor that plays cliff gary raymond yeah seems more suited to be playing his mate you know the right age here for this i mean i'm not even too sure how old mary you was in this but um She's a hangover from the actual uh, theatrical production, isn't she? I think she's yeah. the only one. Another thing, to modern-day audiences, this I spotted on my second viewing, not necessarily on this one round. Modern audiences may not perceive him as an angry young man. It's, it just comes across that there's some sort of mental illness to him, almost, the way he a reacts. sociopath, yeah. He just comes across as being an, either an asshole or being mm. a, a sociopath, yeah. That's the bit. It's like he's... And it's one of the things that's probably going to be, you know, getting ahead of ourselves. But I don't think enough is made of the root of his frustrations and why he is angry. The only thing I could pick up was the whole family thing and the resentment for the wife's family. Yes, yeah. that's a I mean, main the, the, one. But there, you know, there are there are throwaway comments that are put in there that could have expanded out into him, obviously having come in, come from. A working class background, but ended up going to university and and being well educated yes. in that respect, mm. and obviously being very erudite, uh, use of language and referencing and, and stuff, but still ended up you know working on a market stall. It's like he's gone through all of that. He's dragged himself um, uh, up from the confines of his working class origins. Mm. And yet, still ended up, and that could have been more expanded as being the origin of his frustrations and why he was taking it out upon her as an embodiment and her family as the embodiment of the establishment that that's determined to keep the working class people in the working class. Where, you know, no matter how much they try to bet themselves, um, and that that was completely unexplored, really. And there was an opportunity to do so with that from it been expanded out from being a stage player and them adding extra bits in. Yeah. There was a hint as well, I think, towards some of the, the references to the establishment and, and a bit of politics. And I know that there's quite heavily that the angry young man advent in cinema and, and theatre was linked towards, you know, more progressive, you know, sort of left-wing challenging of the establishment and stuff. And I feel like that is, to some extent, unexplored in, in this as well. You know, that, that could have been... Uh, again, not heavily done so, so it's a, a Ken Loach or, or, or whatever film, but, but there could have been a bit more um, sort of, even if it was just when they were looking at the newspapers between the, the, the two fellas making some some comment. But so, I, but mainly I feel that the he, he as you say, his anger and his treatment of other people to modern eyes um, just makes him seem like an arsehole 
Yes, that was the, the <laughs> only well, word well, that came to mind. <laughs> yeah, ra- rather than rather than you thinking thinking, oh right, well yeah, he's, he's, he's he is rebelling against his um, his situation, and he is you know um, maybe not doing it in the right way, but he is rebelling. You you just felt that he he didn't have any justification, and in actual fact, really. It was hard to find any redeeming features in him. Um, a exactly. bit of kindness towards the old woman, yep. and um, having a, a, a moment of standing up um, in defence of the the Asian, um, the Indian guy, mm. uh, market storeholder who was being discriminated against. But that went nowhere as well. Yep. That that I think was was completely wasted opportunity and and didn't need to be there. That was that ended up being. A plot point that could have been expanded and sh- and it either showed more of his humanity um, or built up into something else. It ended up just being filler um, and irrelevant. Uh, well, I, th- and I which think I think was unfortunate. Yeah, I think what happened there, mate, was was Nigel Neal was brought on to tweak, you know, the the theatrical production to make it more of a screenplay, make it more cinematic. And if you notice, his name doesn't appear on the credits because he wasn't happy with the direction that was finally taken. So it makes you wonder if that was something that was introduced by Nigel Neal and then truncated or cut or whatever in, in the final cut that it wasn't expanded on, as you say. Um, Cause it's obviously an extra bit that wouldn't have appeared in the stage production. You know, yeah. the stage production is over two, two sets, isn't it? It's, it's mainly yeah. set in the bed seat, And I think it may be in another room. It's not external as far as I'm aware. So Nigel Neal was brought on, but it soon, you know, got himself disassociated with the movie, you know, because he didn't want any part of, he didn't want his name on it. Interesting. What you say about the relationship between the two of them, reading the newspapers and, even the bit in the theatre where they're doing that song and dance routine or they're doing that little sort of like um, music hall thing in front of Claire Bloom where they're joking about. I read a review somewhere, and you're going to have to back me up on this or, or give me some sort of um, background to this because you're more familiar with this other film. Somebody said that the relationship between the two male leads was very similar to the relationship between David Fulis and the other character in Naked by Mike Lee. Are they right? Because I can't remember naked at all. Is there this sort of like jokey familiarity between the two of them? No, I mean because the, the in 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 naked, yeah, um, he there's a the only other male character really um, it is um, there's two other male characters. Um, one is the security guard who, yeah. um, uh, uh, which there's a completely separate interaction to anybody else, and that's just a, a momentary sort of hour or two interaction. And the other one is the landlord that's trying to exploit the the uh, young landlord who's trying who's a you know a bit of a tough trying to exploit the the girls in the bedsit oh. sort of thing. And um, there's not really a, 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 um, a similar this, similar sort of there's, there's not a similar dynamic with with anybody. I mean, he's um, that's interesting. So, Somebody's seen so, the wrong I mean, movie then. <laughs> So, so yeah, I'm not really sh- unless they're trying to say that there's. Yeah, I can't really see that there's a there's a. a That's fine. There's a you've, parallel. You've, at, oh, no, um, you've proved them wrong. So, That's fine. I just couldn't yeah. remember naked naked from the one viewing that I saw of it when it first came out. It's um, a hard film to find online because mm. as soon as you type in naked, um, you get all sorts of other things. <laughs> I wonder what. Yeah, it's yeah. like if you if it's like if you if you misspell Gary Oldman. Um, and you get all sorts of um, 
if you if you miss out the R. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my brain is so slow this morning. <laughs> oh, on that note, let's go right back to the beginning. Um, it's a Woodfall Films production. Yes, which was company created just you know uh, for this film, wasn't it? Well, originally, yeah, oh because God. it was yeah. it was Richardson. Osborne, and who else? There was a third. Oh, Mr. James Bond himself, Harry Saltzman, wasn't it? Are the three that set it up. And we will find that there are at least three, four, I think there's more actually, Woodfall Productions coming up in the sequence, isn't there? Because major, major part of the British New Wave Angry Young Man movement was Woodfall Productions. And it's Harry Saltzman's first British production company, I think it was, that led to Eon being made and James Bond and, and so on. The rest is history. We focused on the male characters. Let me just take a couple of minutes out to tell you about Mary Ewer, uh, who is the female Mitch's, lead. Mitch's mother. Mitch's mum. Well, she was from Glasgow. Mary Ewer was born in Glasgow, so it may be, may be some relationship there somewhere along the line. It's one of those stories. Now, you know me, I like a bit of delving into Hollywood and, and movie gossip. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those stories that would make a great movie in its own right, Mary Ewer, bless her. I mean, I always had a fondness for Mary Ewer ever since I saw Where Eagles Dare as a kid. You know, it's just this, this stunning blonde woman in, in, the, in the, funny enough, Richard Burton movie. Mm, yeah. Um, but basically what the story of Mary Ewer is that she was appearing in the original production of Look Back in Anger and was having an affair with John Osborne at the time. Notorious womaniser, John Osborne. And he left his wife and married Mary Ewer and, and throughout their marriage and their relationship, he was having extramarital affairs. And they ended up getting divorced in 1963, I think it was, because she was also having an affair with Robert Shaw, Mm. Okay, so this is Harry Saltzman, Robert Shaw, around about the time of From Russia with Love. You know, it's it's all sort of tying in, all these things are linked. And she had a very, very happy relationship, a very happy relationship with um, with Robert Shaw. And they, I think they were in a play together, mid-70s, 74, 75, something like that, and it had a really disastrous opening night. And that evening she was found dead from an alcohol and drug overdose. Whether it was intentional or not, it's never been confirmed. But she did have issues with alcohol throughout her marriage to Robert Shaw, notorious drinker, Robert Shaw, as we know him. Yeah, yeah. And she died very young. She was about 42, something like that. Didn't make many movies, which is a shame because I think she gives almost as standout a performance as Richard Burton in this movie. I think the... the you're right that her the, the subtlety of, of her performance in direct contrast to the bombasticness mm. uh, for want of a better phrase to of his um is a good counterpoint but obviously gets lost due to the attention grabbing um you know of, of his performance but playing opposite that and still being able to to actually have a performance rather than just being a spare part and just being been there occupying some space as, and, and only just as a reaction when called for because she's she's acting in between reactions um to what he does so there's, there's definitely it's worth 
highlighting her her performance and and that quiet strength to it rather than the the, the strength that he puts into his performances. Yeah, and interestingly, she gets billing below Claire Bloom in this yeah. movie, which. I don't think quite works out. Although Claire Bloom, as we know, is a magnificent actress and the performance in this is faultless. Mm. For some reason, Mary Ewer, who also, as I say, appeared in the original, she's the only person that's ever appeared in, you know, from in the in the stage production to carry over into the movie version, gets third on the bill underneath Claire Bloom. Did Claire Bloom already have a, a more established film career then but not a theatre career is that what was we've um, seen Claire Bloom previously haven't we in in not necessarily in the Hall of Fame but she has appeared here with us on on the Real Britannia in in an early role and I'm trying to think what it was it might have been Bunny Lake is Missing or something I can't remember what she was in no it wasn't Claire Bloom I'm thinking of somebody else um I don't know I'm I always imagine Claire Bloom to have this long theatrical career you know, well, I, think she, I think she had a stronger. I think she'd had a stronger film history up until this point. So maybe she was more recognisable as a name outside the theatre than um, Mary Ewer was. Perhaps maybe that might have been the thinking behind it. Um, just looking to see knows. if you say towards the American market, possibly nineteen fifty nine. I mean, Burton would have been the biggest selling point to the American market before this. Well, yeah, she was in. Uh, Olivier's version of Richard III. Mm. The Charlie Chaplin talkie, Limelight, 1952. That would have brought her to uh, Hollywood's attention. She was in Alexander the Great, which yeah. was also Richard Burton, wasn't it, 1956? Mm. Brothers Karamazov was a Hollywood movie. Could be. Could be just the fact that she may have been better known to American audiences that they, they, they popped a second on the bill. I mean, even Edith Evans is, is way down the bill, bless her. <laughs> yeah. And it's good to see Edith Evans playing somebody that isn't a, a countess or a... Yeah, the Dowager Duchess, yeah. She was great in this, you know. There's there's not a bad performance in this. As I say, the only, the only fault I can find is that I don't think Richard Burton's performance is right for this movie. That's that's the thing. It was it was too Shakespearean. It's too it's too Richard Burton. Yeah, I think there's it's it's too strong mm. um, in that way to to fit with the 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 intimacy of what the actual uh, play is about. I think his performance is too strong in that sense, like you say, to take you a bit away from that intimacy and, and, and the, the sort of down, the down-to-earth kitchen sink whole point of it, it is the gritty reality there and he's a bit more of a character rather than anything else and that yeah. sort of, it spoils it slightly in that respect. I mean, you know, a great actor but not quite right for this perhaps. Yeah, it's a, shame. it's a shame. It would be interesting to see a version that would have had somebody like Tom Bell or Albert Finney or somebody from that era you know actually Tom Bell might have been a bit too young but while we were talking about the Hall of Fame we're going to go into the Hall of Fame in just a second but but, but the, the co-star you know the male co-lead which is a guy called Gary Raymond I had to have a little look to find out you know whatever happened to him because 
I don't remember seeing him in many things, but he, he appeared in things like, let's have a look, Jason and the Argonauts and El Cid, greatest story ever told, again, big Hollywood productions. But he's one of those people that have just sort of just sort of disappeared. You know, he never made anything major that anybody would remember him for. Yeah, he just became a he sort of he carried on acting and carried on having a career. Yeah, but he was see, yeah. he, he 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 became went from supporting roles like this to to end up just being sort of walk on parts with a bit of dialogue and he was you know the, I don't know the the butler or the the you know come in and deliver some news or a chauffeur or or, yeah. or whatever. It stopped being that he was he was actually taking a, a more central role. Um, unfortunately, and I don't think that's you know I don't have a reflection of of, of his his acting talent because I think he you know he showed in this he's he great had, in this he had talent yeah. yeah so he's absolutely great in this. Shame. Okay, let's let's let's. Get the keys out of your pocket. He's still got time to shine again because I think he's still alive, isn't he? He's still acting up to 2017, according yeah. to IMDb. So he could still, you know, have his his second flush of stardom. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. He's let's have a look. He's he's 85 years young at the moment. So while we were talking about the Hall of Fame, get those keys out of your pocket, mate. Join me walking up the path. Go and open the door. I want to find out who's in there because I know there must be one. There's one person I believe is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Let's take a look. Right, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna surprise me and tell me there's more than one. So I may be <laughs> <laughs> Hall of Fame. As as listeners may be aware, the Hall of Fame or the Village Hall of Fame. We're not worthy to have a Hall of Fame here at Real Britannia. The Village Hall of Fame is where we induct actors, actresses, directors, and other notable luminaries, shall we say, that have appeared three times or more on the Real Britannia podcast so with that in mind it's over to the custodian himself Stephen come on mate who we got in there this week well we have three people who are making their second appearance which uh, I'll just briefly uh, mm-hmm. gloss over um, which is uh, Stanley Van Beers who will be familiar to you mm-hmm. uh, Bernice Swanson um, was uh, another one yep. uh, and uh, Tokyo Townley oh um, I saw that name but didn't yeah yeah, yeah. You know that's that's just uh, second appearances, so they're still uh, waiting in the garden to have the entry to the hall. <laughs> is it um, likely that they're gonna? <laughs> is it likely they're gonna well, get in um, at any some point? Of, yeah, possibly uh, might be beckoned in um, at some point. Okay. Especially since I think some of these, then I mean, Bernie Swanson previously appeared in Violent Playground, so it might well be that Ooh, uh, okay. she has a, a, a another appearance in one of the subsequent. Um, films in this series that we're doing of social realism, kitchen sinks, you might end up um, getting a another appearance by that. So. Couldn't we have a separate Hall of Fame, mate? You know, just specifically <laughs> for the the kitchen sink stuff. See who comes out top. I've got a feeling. Yeah. I've got a feeling it'd be Rita Tushingham, but there we go. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> um, but we've um, we've got two people who are actually uh, making their their debuts into the um, Hall of Fame. Can I make a prediction? Because I'm pretty sure, and I'm not looked at this, right? Is now he was only in it for I think he said one line, and I recognised him immediately. Is it Nigel Davenport? He is one of them, absolutely. Yes, Man for All Seasons and Chariots of Fire previously. Excellent. That's probably where I knew him recently because of the Chariots of Fire only episode a couple of days ago. 
a very famous face, Nigel Davenport. Yeah. Yes. I'm surprised he, he hasn't made it before now, no. to be honest. No. So he's in there. That's his third appearance today. That's well. Yeah. That's a welcome appearance. Yeah, okay. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was Michael Balfour. Ah, now the market trader who was in the pub. He yes. was on the right-hand side. Little... Little bloke with a little stub nose, isn't he? He's always always plays little cockney sort of barra boys or villains. Remind one me good, what he was one in. One good like. turn and carry on constable previously. Ah, there we go then. Although he was a villain in carry on constable, I yeah. think. There we go. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that that's the the new inductees. We do have um, two people who are making their fourth appearances. Actually. Um, Donald Pleasance. No, no, actually, no. This is we I haven't think mentioned actually, Donald Pleasance, have we? Uh, Donald Pleasance's uh, first appearance, I, I, I believe. Same as Richard Burton's first appearance, I believe. That's interesting. Uh, okay, mm. yeah. So yeah, we we've got Robin Burns, okay. who was previously in Night to Remember, Heavens Above, and One Good Term. <laughs> they were always in those three. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, Night to Remember. I mean, if they weren't in Night to Remember, they're not worth mentioning. <laughs> Uh, and and the other fourth appearance um, is by somebody called Victoria Harrington. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Victoria this time, rather than Victor, uh, who's previously in 39 Steps of Island Playground and Carry On Teacher. I'm just looking um, now to see who, do, who did Victoria Harrington play in this, because again, it's one of those ones that crop up. Oh, child, uncredited. Yeah. Oh, so all these appearances probably that we've some had, sweets, probably, you see. yeah, all these appearances that we've had. What what was she in previously, mate? That we've seen her in. Night to remember. Yeah, uh, violent fairground. Got a down as thirty nine steps as well. Oh, that seemed quite early. I was going to say for her to be a child in this one. Yeah. So pretty much all the appearances that we've seen her in, she she was a child actress. We're thinking. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and we do actually have one person who's who's making their seventh appearance. Oh, I've got no idea. Um, it's none of the major ones. No one that we've seen. Oh, the top no, of the bill, it's certainly, it? certainly not a, a major appearance, no. Okay. There's a guy called Jack Sharp. Right. Um, who was just a man in the market. Um, <laughs> my belief is that when they're first entering the market, with the pulling the barrow and there's some guy sat there sort of who nods at them. Um, yeah. I think it was. I think it might well have been him, but um, that's just me. Maybe just um, okay. No, that's trying fine. To, trying to find him, but um, obviously uh, he was in a night to remember previously, as well as <laughs> Heaven's Above, Ten Millington Place, Man for All Seasons, Violent Playground, and the Ipcrest Farm. Mm. So number seven for him, and that is the sum total of people for the um, the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to suddenly announce that there's somebody getting their twelfth appearance or anything. We've no, no Victor Harrington or Cyril Chamberlain. We've scraped the barrel now for this episode. Uh, yeah, but, but um, I was a... expecting when I, I first was looking at it, I was thinking, oh, I don't think there is anybody. And then I realised, you know, as I started going through it, I was thinking, there's more than. Enough. And then I realised, um, so very yes. productive again. Yes. Um, we're not going to include Harry Saltzman, even though we've covered the Bond movies. He he will get his own mention eventually, yes. but that's interesting. And and also in the cast, I mean, I'm looking at the cast now because I, I deliberately avoided it because this is your baby, the uh, the Hall of Fame. Um, that genuinely was Chris Barber and his band in, in the yes. in the in the club. Brilliant, yes. because I know he says they're going to the club to see Chris Barber on his second night. And I thought, oh, is that or isn't it? And it was genuinely Chris Barber, which is good to see. Hall of Fame is getting fuller by the week. It is, yes. And as you said, there'll be. A, I, I think there is 
a bit of a tendency for some of the people who were in in this or in some of the the, the previous films um, to then be repeating that that genre of, of film. They get a bit typecast or they get just stuck within a, a, a cycle of getting called to be the person to be in uh, one of these films rather than them uh, branching out into some period drama or a comedy no. or whatever. They're kind of It's the same as when you get repeated people just appearing in the carry-ons and the, the, yeah. the, the normal wisdoms and the doctors, people who then get just seen as being the person to play a comedy or a person to play... Um, the kitchen sinks. Um, I think there are there are a number of people like you've highlighted that will be repeat um, faces. I think you'll you'll find that the Woodfall uh, production company probably had its own sort of stock company of actors yeah. again, like you're saying, isn't it? So uh, as we see more Woodfall productions coming in, we're going to see the same sort of faces in the background. We're going to see the Victoria Harringtons and the Michael Balfours. I think you know, yeah. I'm not going to spend too much longer on this, mate, because we had the documentary which pretty much tells the story of this movie. I just wanted to cover our thoughts on it. We haven't mentioned the original play too much or John Osborne, but the actual writing and the prose and, and, you know, Burton's performance aside, whoever delivers what was written down on that page, you know he's going to give some sort of stunning performance because the words really do just stand out, don't they? The, the dialogue is obviously, um, been coming from a player background, is obviously where the, this is focused. Um, and then they've used more scenery, uh, mm. locations and, and action to, to build it out into being some, you know, something that can be shown on, on the screen as a cinema. Yeah, We can usually tell when something has come from a... a theatre background course, with yeah. the use of dialogue and the interaction with people and that's not necessarily a, a criticism because some of the great films that we um, enjoy are ones that uh, you know we can tell have come from that and, and when we sometimes describe things as theatrical rather than um, cinematic hmm. um, that certain can be a compliment but yeah in this sense I mean I have not seen the film so I don't I, I mean sorry I haven't seen the, the, the theatre piece no. Um, so I don't have that to, to compare to myself. I think that they've expanded out from the, the dialogue that they they had in it, but how much of the it they might have kept and how much there's a potential loss. I can only imagine that they just they didn't take anything out dialogue-wise and they've no. just added extra bits in. So I, yeah, it's, um, it's, we'll be getting the true representation in that respect, and mm. there is some great lines in there. If you've got a better memory than me, then perhaps there's some great yeah. lines to be quoting and, and saying yourself at people. Not off the top of really my head. Clever. Yeah, not yeah. off the top of my head, mate, because some of them were so long as well. There were these whole, not not quite monologues, but this great exaggerated spouting out of venom from from Burton, you know. And, and also we need to mention Tony Richardson. He directed the original production on the stage, and this was his first film that he directed and he really didn't want to do it because he didn't feel confident yeah i think there was also some some question mark from the people financing the film as yeah. well about whether he was the right person to be doing so but i think there was a feeling at a certain level from whoever was was pushing for this to actually be done and, and put together that they um they were, brought him in of the, of, yeah of the view of you know this is a person who knows the material this is a person we should be using can't say that was a, a, a bad choice i don't have any criticism well, of, of it, tony richardson's it didn't seem stage bound at all did it you know yeah. he, he made good use of the sets and the external locations there was a marvelous scene 
where Burton comes in to apologise to Mary Ewer, and it's filmed in the mirror. Yeah. And, and then the camera pulls back and it shows the rest of the bed set. And yeah, I've got no complaints with that at all. So as an introduction to the official Angry Young Man, Kitchen Sink, British New Wave, whatever you want to call it, I mean, general thoughts, as I said before, I've, I've, I've warmed to this movie. I was overwhelmed by it originally. I was a bit picky about it next viewing but this viewing round which is I think pretty sure it's my third viewing I quite liked it I enjoyed it as a movie um, I relaxed a bit more watching it even though we, I knew we were going to be talking about it I was very critical on my second viewing but this time round I watched it as a movie and I just enjoyed it as a piece of entertainment I think I enjoyed it more this time round even though Sometimes when I'm watching the film for the podcast, I'm watching it with a more critical eye. Mm. So the the enjoyment factor isn't there in the same way because I'm I'm a bit, a bit more judging of it um, yeah. rather than just letting it uh, sort of come over me um, as a film. Yeah. But it, this time round, I think was the, the the best watch I've had of it because of the getting the balance more sort of balanced view with regards to understanding a bit more about what the, the point of it was and the point of the characters um but also not being too put put off or or, or sort of bamboozled by the force of, of the performances to not actually um take in what was going on yeah that was that was the thing i think in the initial viewings the thing that dominates the viewing for for both of us would have been richard burton that's all you can see and and you yeah. you miss the subtlety of mary you're you miss how great an actress Claire Bloom is on that first viewing. And and all the supporting cast of Wheels, they're, they're faultless. There's no problems with the cast, with the directing. You know, the extra bits that are included into the script just make it all worthwhile. It's a four star out of five for me because there are better ones coming up. It doesn't have to be seen on the big screen, mate, does it, this one? No, I wouldn't say so at all, no. This, to some extent, is is better watched at home because if you're in your home environment and this is about people in their home, mm-hmm. um, there's maybe a better better feeling to it that you can feel like you're part of it a bit more and it draws you in a bit more rather than you you having that separation of, um, you know, obviously some people do have home cinemas, so that's different. Uh, but, watch it while you're uh, doing your ironing, mate. That's the that's the trick with this movie. Yeah, that's what I'll, yeah, <laughs> do in future. Yeah, recommend people watch it while doing the ironing. Um, but make sure Burton's not about because you could get could get hurt. End up with a burn. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll leave it at that because we've got plenty more to come. Yeah. N- not only the other nine or whatever it was. There's there's about another fifteen or sixteen we've got planned in this sequence, haven't we, mate? So. Yeah. Looking forward to that. The next one in the sequence will be Room at the Top, which is Lawrence Harvey. So that will be in a few months' time. But coming up will be your choice uh, of, of movie for us, mate. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back after this. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Okay, so that was Look Back in Anger, 1959. My choice, because I'm sort of bringing all the the British New Wave stuff to the table. So it must be your turn, mate. What you got lined up for us? Well, this was um, a, a film about uh, you know, a troubled relationship between two individuals who um, you know, potentially had a child that mm. would have been brought into a, a quite a fractious um, home life and, um, and would have grown up in that sort of broken home almost of the of, in the 60s. And so the, the next film is about somebody who um, is growing up in a broken home, fractured life as a child in the 60s. Although it was actually, the film was made in, in 1997 and not based in some unnamed English Midlands place, mm. but actually in in Ireland. So it's uh, the, the story of, the, of an antisocial son of an alcoholic father and a bipolar mother who grows up in 1960s Ireland. And it, it's called The Butcher Boy. It's uh, yeah. directed by Neil Jordan. When was it made? 97? 97, yeah. Was this in your wilderness years? It is. It was, this was in the drunken wilderness years, mate, where nothing happened. Yeah. Um, Neil Jordan, I'm going to assume it's something like a Goldcrest production or something round about that era. So, yeah. Film 4 funded yes. or something like that. that kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Who's in it, mate? Because I'm vaguely aware of the uh, time. Well, uh, although the, the child star is, is um, a, a guy called Eamon Owens, mm-hmm. um, his father who uh, occasionally appears in it, is um, Stephen Rea. Oh, excellent. I'm a big and fan. And then yeah. um, there's also appearances by um, Fiona Shaw. And, and there's a few familiar faces, John Kavanagh and stuff you'll see in mm-hmm. it, Ian Hart. Oh, um, wonderful. The others that crop up as faces that you, you recognise. But it's it's very much um, almost all the screen time is, is based upon the, the child carrying it, that the film, and, and thankfully, you know, Child actors can sometimes be awful and annoying, but this was obviously somebody who's, who's done a performance which is very worthy of, a, of that screen time. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. It's it's something that I don't know anything about. It's a comedy about. drama, so it's it's not quite as dour as it possibly could sound. You don't let me down, mate, so I'm assuming you're not going to let me down on this one. This looks pretty good, actually. I'm, I'm liking this. Uh, it's similar to Waking Ned. I'd never seen Waking Ned until until you brought it to the table. So fantastic! That's the Butcher Boy, 1997, directed by Neil Jordan. There we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's going to wind it up just for the moment on this particular episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Stephen, thanks for being there again this morning, mate. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. We haven't spoken for a little while, actually, thinking about it. It's been a, been a no, few it's, weeks. One thing or another, we've um, we've not had the chance yeah. So let's get back on track in the run-up to Christmas. A bit more regular reviewing, more regular chats and conversations. I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time, mate. You take care. You too. Take care. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Good luck. Thank you.
bring the British end up, sir. Ha, ha, ha.